action in the street is exciting But Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting I've been reading and writing We need to handle our financial situation Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? I'm past patiently waiting and passionately Smashing every expectation, every action To act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And to nobody's surprise, we are still continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's deep dive, we will be focusing on songs 27 and 28. That's Take a Break and Say No to This. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter where or how you have experienced Hamilton, this is the perfect place for you to be. Before we get started, it is always a great time to just remind you guys that Let's Dive Deep may contain adult content, such as having an affair. If those are things you do not wish to speak about or things you do not wish to have children hear about, Feel free to make sure that you are A, an adult listening to this podcast, or B, making sure you're not playing this podcast in front of children. Additionally, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does contain spoilers, something that children are also sometimes sensitive to. While our focus <laughs> each episode is a specific set of songs, we will always be taking into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. If you are enjoying this, po I'm assuming if you've made it this far into the podcast, you are probably enjoying it. But just in case you aren't, if you are enjoying the podcast, though, feel free to go and hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher. Leave us some reviews somewhere that helps to get out to more people. There are loads of Hamilton fans out there that may enjoy the podcast. Please go and tell all those people about the podcast. If you would like to hear my thoughts on a, another kind of media thing, I did a, a, a full season of Let's Dive Deep on the first season of Bridgerton. That was very exciting. Those people have lots of opinions. They email me all the time, and it's very fun. So feel free to search Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton in your podcatcher. And you know what? I think we're good. I think that's it. Um, I think you're good to lead us in here. Well, in that case, I will. Now that we're ready to go, now that all that's done, I think it's time we kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine. I see you've got your coffee. Dear listener, I hope you've got uh, something that you're enjoying as well as we dive deep into Hamilton. Dear sir, I hope this letter finds you in good health and in a prosperous enough position to put wealth in the pockets of people like me. Down on they luck. You see, that was my wife who decided to... Uh-oh. You made the wrong sucker a cuckold. So time to paint the pipe up all the pants you unbuckle. And hey, you can keep seeing my whole wife if the price is right. If not, I'm telling your wife. I hit the letter and I raced to a place. Screamed, I'll cut you in the face. She said, no, sir. Just to 
pathetic imagine of pathetic she cried. So was your whole story a setup? I don't know about any letters. Stop crying, goddammit, get up. I didn't know any better. Please. Please. Nobody needs to know. We are starting the affair episode, which is what I'm calling this, with Take a Break. Before we talk <laughs> about Take a Break, though, I did miss something in the intro. Uh, you guys have been wild with the emails this week, which has been awesome. Things are really starting to pick up on that front. So let's dive deep pod at gmail.com is the email address to email us. If you have any thoughts, opinions, feedback, anything, throw it there. Uh, we'll hopefully be able to integrate it into the podcast at some point in the future. Also, Twitter at Let's Dive Deep if you have a Twitter account and, and you like the podcast. Anyways, we're starting here with Take a Break. Now, this episode kind of takes the setup we had earlier with uh, Washington. Like, the last thing that happened right before this is Washington's, like, figure it out, Alexander. That's an order from your commander. Like lots of pressure there. Like you've got to go, you got to figure this thing out or Congress is going to want to fire you. So that's where Hamilton is at right now. And we start with uh, Eliza and Philip and it's very cute. And they're at the piano and they're learning how to count. One of the reasons I wanted to, to really call this out early um, other than it's super cute, I think it's good to know right away that Eliza and Philip have a really good relationship. Not that you assume they uh, wouldn't, right? But it's just good to know. It's good for the, the musical to show us that they have a really, really close relationship. It'll add some weight to quite a few things that happen later in the musical. But also specifically that she's teaching him how to count, which will come up again during his duel. Um, where the counting part of it gets a little messed up and he's going to express a little bit of regret about that. So I just like that this is a little bit of subtle foreshadowing um, ahead of the duel or something to just, because we've already seen the musical, something that we get to track moving from this point. I love that that foreshadowing is supported by the fact that they never get to 10. The entire um, motif is incomplete because they stop at set wheat noof. They stop at nine. And so the implication, we've counted to 10 before in this show. The implication is that we're going to count to 10 again. And right. here we're, we're resetting the clock as to like, oh, we are definitely foreshadowing something because this moment is incomplete and we're bridging to something later. And I think that it's a very nice touch. I also like that it kind of helps, like, 
it kind of helps establish a timeline a little bit. Like this little scene does a whole lot because throughout the song, we learn that Philip is nine. So we've already kind of really jumped ahead because Philip is already nine years old. But by the time his duel happens, he's 19 or 18. Like he just mm -hmm. graduated from like he. So we're jumping like almost a decade to here from I don't know exactly where, but not too far back where we've jumped a decade. And then from here in just a couple of songs, we're jumping another decade to um philip's duel and i just like that this little bit at the beginning does so much groundwork to kind of orient us within the musical again and i, I really enjoy that it's kind of a part that i like to just kind of lean into it's a nice fun opening to a song but also every time i watch the musical i just it helps me get a sense of where we are in the story timeline wise um and i i, I really really enjoy that yeah once again it's really efficient storytelling and it's not to say that what Hamilton did at this point in his life was not important or less important than what he did at other points. Like you do have to trim some fat when you're making some adaptive choices and turning someone's entire lifetime into a two and a half hour musical. Right. And children and hair incidentally uh, enough are really good ways to streamline uh, the, the chronological parts of a story. And if we know when they had Philip and now we see how old he is, you know, and also it's so great that, uh, we get explicitly in case the set wheat noof, the implication there wasn't enough for you. We get explicitly, your son is nine years old today. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, so we get that and we don't, we don't register it as raw exposition because we get that emotive pleading from Philippa Sue that uh, Liza being like, Hey, um, your, your son, it's his birthday. Right. Do you want, do you maybe want to, he, he would like to talk. How often is he lucky enough to talk to his own father? Right. He has something he would like. There's for his birthday present, he would like to talk to you. Yeah. There's a lot of questions about Hamilton's parenting abilities <laughs> that come up <laughs> yeah. in this song, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. After we get the whole Philip counting bit that I find really cute that helps orient us uh, in, in the play here, um, we get some of my favorite lines. So just the little piano riff here. I like the relaxed nature of it. Like, my dearest Angelica, tomorrow. Like, I just like the way mm -hmm. it kind of goes into that. We get more my dearests flying back and forth between Angelica and Hamilton, which is cool. That's going to be a, a plot point just a little bit later in the song. Um, but my favorite part of this whole thing is when he, he says, um, I trust you'll understand the reference to another Scottish tragedy without my having to name the play. And then the motherfucker like in the next line names the play. And I was like, Hamilton, I understand that this is hard because Macbeth is the name of the play and the main character, but you gotta be a little more efficient with this part, Hamilton. You can't say you're not gonna name the play because you trust her and then name the play in the next line. That part has always struck me. Like, all, like, I know it has nothing to do with anything, but I've always, like, just taken it like, out. Oh, this dude's stressed out. He's just writing shit. Like, he doesn't even know what he's saying. But I also like here that he is taking this whole situation, um, him and Madison and Jefferson and his financial plan and all of it, and the way he, in 18 or 17, whatever this is, um, he kind of reframes it into the characters from Macbeth, 
which isn't like a perfect analogy at all, but it also relies on the audience to either know or not know Macbeth. And I just like it because if you know Macbeth, it works kind of. If you don't know Macbeth, it works kind of. And it just exists. And I just like the whole thing. That's how Hamilton is thinking about this. But it also implies that Angelica also is very familiar with Macbeth. Like, I just like how this one Shakespeare play is all of a sudden super relevant for 10 seconds before it becomes completely irrelevant again. It also requires that you understand that uh, the person we believe to be Alexander Hamilton's father was Scottish. You know, the line, another Scottish tragedy is like, well, previously we've talked about him being an immigrant orphan, but I thought he was from the West Indies. Like, I didn't know that I didn't know that his story was a Scottish tragedy. What's going on here now? What you're talking about with Angelica there, that really plays for me. That really plays well, because I think the implication in the show is that Hamilton can throw out any literary reference, any kind of intellectual challenge. Angelica is going to get it. They are each other's mental equal, right? You know, like the, if he wants to make a Shakespeare reference, she's going to get it. If he wants to reference Dante or Milton or whomever he wants, she is going to know what he's talking about. And my reading of that first line, not discounting the humor in, in your saying, I don't have to name the play, and then he goes and fucking does it. Like, that is funny. But I think part of what he's saying there is, I'm quoting Macbeth, and then this is a compliment that he's paying to Angelica. The next line, I trust you'll understand the reference, is him saying, I know you know what I'm talking about. but because I'm Alexander Hamilton and I've never shut up once in my life. And because I talked for six hours, the Congress was listless. I'm going to elaborate, even though I know you understand it. Right. I think that does support what you're saying about him being so distracted, so put out, so outside of his mind. You know, I think that's a really good reading of this stanza. And yet he's capable of such brilliant things, even his, in his weakness. I'm a polymath, a pain in the ass, a massive pain. Such a good line, right? And then, yeah, his comparison to the to the show Hamilton. I don't know if it's perfect. It's not, but but, but Congress, works. yeah, it's, it kind of works. But Congress, uh, as Burnham would, you know, that concept, the idea that Congress is an inevitable enemy that he acknowledges he doesn't have to combat primarily right now, but that he knows is inevitable, that he knows is coming down the pipe, that really does give you the the landscape of where his mental status is at, right? I think it's yes. I I think it's pretty clever. I really do. But only if you know like I so I'm familiar with Shakespeare. We have a thing in Vancouver called Bard on the Beach, and that's a Shakespeare only theater. Where every oh, summer, yeah. where every where every summer they pick two Shakespeare plays, I want to say it is, mm -hmm. and then it's just a full on. You just the, their run is like three and a half, four and a half months, and they do it eight times a week or whatever it is, right? And you can go. So I've seen every Shakespeare play multiple times, just at Bart on the Beach. I go all the time. I love it, mm -hmm. but I'm not like familiar with reading the material or anything, right? And so it's like so. There's so many levels of how familiar you need to be with Macbeth to 
to understand the reference at a different level. I'm assuming mm-hmm. most of the audience just has no idea anything that happens in Macbeth. Or if they did, they learned it in high school once. And now... You know, I honestly, I think of all Shakespeare's plays, and there's plenty of them, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of assume that Macbeth is one of the, the more well-known. Yes, um, I think Macbeth, Hamlet, Romeo, and Juliet are top three in in like yeah. my education system. Whatever one for I sure, want. for sure, and then and then maybe Midsummer's, um, yeah, might Midsummer be Nights like yeah. close behind that, right? But I mean, even if you don't know the specifics, I feel like Burnham Wood is is common enough. I mean, it it does kind of. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe just like just being steeped in in theater for a while. I feel like this is this is a pretty good reference. But if not, uh, th- there's an interesting duality here, right? Even if it doesn't land for you specifically as the audience member, you can you can sit back and go, "Man, these two are talking about shit. I've got That's no exactly idea right. about." And like they're so way. yeah, it works either way. There's like these two. And they get each other. I mean, the meaning, like the real purpose here, right? Even if you don't understand the Macbeth reference here, the crucial bit is that you understand that Angelica and Alexander are simpatico. And that they are connecting on a really important level, right? Um, and, And it seems that they are, because then, like, after this, them being together is reinforced by them having uh, this harmony section. And there you are an ocean away. Do you have to live an ocean away? Right? Asking each other, it seems, together in their questioning. And, uh, and then we find out, uh, it, or he's, uh, before we find out that she's, you know, actually coming back, he gets pulled out of this by Betsy. Um, but I think it's, it's crucial that we have this moment of them together musically them together lyrically right because it makes it even more problematic when he chooses not to join them upstate later you know that's exactly right so there's a few things here i like for the briefest of moments that hamilton acknowledges that ambition is his folly like thanks for the self-awareness alexander (laughs) you've done it awesome good stuff well done mate um i promised in like episode two Three, I promised at some point really early on, and I remember this, that I would point out the time in the musical where I thought Lin-Manuel struggled a little bit, and it's 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 this harmony with Angelica mm-hmm. here. Uh, I love Lin-Manuel. I think his vocals work for his character really well. I don't think he's the most talented vocalist in this musical. We've talked about this a lot, mm-hmm. right? The harmony with Angelica is a little, not like rough in the sense that it doesn't work. You could just tell like she's on a level. And he's he's just below that level with where he's at with the harmony. And I just I've always enjoyed it because I think it works for the characters and I think it works just within the musical. But I just promised I'd point it out then. So this is me pointing it out now that this is the time I was talking about. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. But I also want to acknowledge I think Goldsberry is on a level above most people most of the time. She's just she you know, she's just she's so good. I mean, you get when you're on stage with her, you should get degree of difficulty points, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> the scoring gets like handicapped to take into account that. Yeah, there's opposite. a curve. 
You're opposite yeah. Renee Goldsberry. Yeah, it's the Goldsberry curve. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the Goldsberry curve. So what it, we yeah. we just created the the Goldsberry curve for analyzing theatrical performances. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just that's it's the official title of it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I like this line a lot. There you are, an ocean away. Do you have to live an ocean away? I think this implies because they're singing it together. There's some sort of longing. Like they're obviously mm-hmm. like we've. We've we've known that they're longing for each other in some way this whole time. I'm glad that Alexander didn't forget to write. We all knew we thought he might. It was a huge thing. We all thought he totally might forget to write Angelica. So he remembered. That's great. Good job, Alexander. But what I like about this is it also kind of implies that if Angelica were around, then she could help Hamilton with this issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Part of it is like, I'm dealing with this problem. Right. Why do you have to live over there? Like if you were here, this problem might be better or I'd be less stressed or something, whether it's mm-hmm. directly with this financial plan problem or the stress or the whatever, which which I like because I think it makes sense that they're so on the level that she would be helpful in this situation and or comforting or whatever. Right. But it's also like, dude, we're about to find out your wife is the fucking best person ever. We already knew that, but we're about to double down on that. Like, take a take a break like it's exactly it like just take like it, this song is perfect in that way it's like dude you it really riles it to be just like shake it's like i want to shake hamilton here the same way i shook i wanted to shake burr when hamilton's trying to get him to write the the federalist papers it's like dude what the fuck were you just fighting for if you're not going to do this same with hamilton like you just want to shake him and be like look everything's fine dude like just take a break take a breath go it's your kid's birthday like just calm down. It's okay. Yeah. And he could have just gotten back to it when he got back. Like it would have been fine, you know? But he can't because, you know, he has to write like he's running out of time. He he has to do everything nonstop. Absolutely. It also makes what's great about this is it also makes the choice to not go upstate with Angelica and and Eliza. Like that makes that choice like really strange because you expect him to go, right? If you just watch this, if you stopped here, if you paused here and then said, hey, after this Angelica actually arrives in New York for like a family vacation, does Hamilton go on that vacation? You'd be like, yeah, he's there in 10 seconds. Like he's already packed. When like Angelica arrives, he's got his suitcase, he's going, mm-hmm. right? So if you had just paused here, that's what you would assume. And so it makes that choice to stay even more strange later on, which I find to be just really effective storytelling. I, I think it's effective as well. And this, I consider to be a feature, not a bug. It's just a weirdness about Hamilton. I don't think it's a problem with the show. It just makes Hamilton's choice here interesting, right? All we know up to this point is that Hamilton has made his career except for his law practice in New York City itself, he has made his career, his personality, writing people and then sending his correspondence off to other people and giving people his opinions and being like, I'm so smart. This is how I feel. This is what I think. This is how it's all going to work. So he can't write shit and send it to people from upstate. He has to be in New York City in order to do that. Like I, I really I, think I've never thought about that. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, I I really from New, like, what the fuck you work from that? I, I never thought about that in my life. I really like I really think <laughs> Hamilton. Like if he got caught in COVID, <laughs> he would have been one of those people who'd been like, "No, you can't work remotely. What are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, he has no right. vision. Like, 
Right. But the thing, he's been working remotely for a decade. When he was uh, with Washington, you know why he was called an aide to camp? Because he was moving from camp to fucking camp. So he's very comfortable <laughs> moving from one place to another. I've never um, thought about this logistical wrinkle of it in my life. All this guy does is write. <laughs> like, just write yeah. from your fucking, like father-in-law's huge ass mansion upstate like i I never thought about that but yeah like what are you doing like his decision is so fucking stupid without that and then you add that and it's just doubly dumb and you're like right cool yeah i'm just adding you know again that in my opinion that's not a bug in the show that's a feature that's an addition to like hamilton made the wrong moves here because I think you know it's safe to say we're gonna be we're gonna be taking our dunks on on old man Ham these songs here, and that's one of mine. Like you have proven that you can make a lot of powerful decisions made with your quill, pen, whatever we want to use, song by song. Like you can you could do a lot of work remotely, but he just decides you know now. Nope. And also, that being said, I do like the the dunk on Adams here because yeah. we see that like in that line, we see that Hamilton is not content doing as much work as someone else. Hamilton has to do more work than anybody else. So if he's the secretary of the treasury, he has to do more work than the vice president. He's fine with that. Vice president, in his mind, doesn't have a real job, right? right. You know? Um, and so he, he's saying, look, the vice president can take the summer off because he doesn't actually do anything, but I do. And I have to do it from my office for some reason. Uh, <laughs> which I, you know, just like... So there I, might... I, I, I'm just going through the whole process of like trying to put this logic into my brain for the first time and it's just so dumb this is i love this point this is so i mean you've never you've never thought about it oh okay when we get to that part i'm still like mentally at philip's birthday here like yeah oh i'm sorry yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of moving around but when i when when i'm like mentally ready to explain what i thought about his choice at no point did i ever consider that he could just do this job upstate I I've always weighed the equation as like being the ma- like doing the job or like family. T- I'll explain it when we get there. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm getting ahead of you. Anyway. No worries. No worries. All good. All good. This is I like bouncing around. It's just like mentally, I'm trying to be like, ooh, this beatboxing thing is cool. And then John Adams is here. Anyways, so it is very cool. She does a really cute job, right? It's endearing. So- so Eliza shows up. She's the best wife. She cares about a work-life balance and like it kind of like snarks at Hamilton until he gets out of his fucking chair to come to his own son's ninth birthday party. Um, and then you get this beatboxing song from Philip and Eliza, which is incredibly funny. I put that the beatboxing is weirdly attractive. I don't know. I think it's great. Philippa Sue, I just have a huge crush on her. So anything she does is fantastic. And then Philip's actual song, writing something, it's kind of like if you're writing a book and there's like a code or a puzzle in the book, it has to be compelling enough for the reader to kind of do along with the person, like with the character in the book. And it's not the exact same thing, but like writing a song that's fun for the audience, but it's also a song or like a little jingle that a nine-year-old might have written. 
is very hard because you have to like Lin Manuel has to pretend he's nine, write the song, like someone who's an adult has to perform it as if they were nine years old, and it has to land and be funny and make sense for the story. All of that together, I find adds another layer of just difficulty in nailing it. And boy, do they nail it because Philip's little jingle here is so freaking funny. It is. It's really well done. And it's also our first introduction to this actor as Philip instead of Lawrence, right? So there's a lot riding on the back of this one moment, but I think they pull it off. Um, I love your, you know, your, your discussion there of songs like in a book that have to land with this. This moment for me has always felt like the songs from the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Like they're, they're clearly written by an adult and they're written for adults and maybe also children, but they have to land on so many multiple levels. This is for me, it's a very touching moment because we start to deal with Hamilton dealing with children and start to, you know, we, we coming off of the back of dear Theodosia, the introduction of the idea of him having the son Philip. Now we have the doubling down on that. Now we see how he deals with Philip. And and I feel like, you know, his report card is like a, like a C minus D plus. Like he does come downstairs, but like we had to beg you, you know, (laughs) he he shows up when he was already in the same building. Yeah. But, but he is like, once he's down there, man, he's so impressed by his son. Like, yeah, you're doing a great job. That's awesome. But, what really I think what really comes across is Philip's need to impress his father. And I think that that like the emotional payoff of that later just is huge. Yes. Philip's need to impress his father. I have so many thoughts about Philip's duel later, like and that whole dumb situation, but <laughs> we'll, we'll tackle those. Then this is a great <laughs> springboard for that though. Like this whole song does a really good job of the Philip Eliza Hamilton dynamic in setting that up so when that whole thing happens later it pays off like it doesn't feel out of place um it it really pays off the characters and the and the situations that they're in after after philip's little beatbox here he wants a sister or he's got a sister but he wants a little brother or whatever it's so Mm -hmm. my (laughs) dad just the way he like says bank like my dad is trying to start america's bank it's like you're nine you don't even know what that means dude like cool whatever (laughs) um eliza actually no actually first hamilton says hey our kid is pretty great and i put in my Mm -hmm. notes very cheekily uh it's good to know that hamilton thinks his kid is pretty great before he gets him killed in a few minutes so i just wanted to type that out there (laughs) just so we know ahead of time hey hamilton likes this kid and is at least kind of parenting him before that whole situation happens well, and he he loved his kid when he gave him bad advice as well. You know, he wasn't trying to be malicious. You know, he really does love Philip. I feel that. Yes. You know? I don't think Hamilton he, gave him intentionally bad advice. Right. But, you know, Philip's situation. down. Yeah. Philip's downfall was not Hamilton disliking Philip. It was fem, it was Hamilton having a an individually and uniquely flawed sense of what honor is in any given moment. I think that aim your pistol at the sky is just another manifestation of that. In my in my humble opinion, that's that's my take on that. I have right. a, a question for you about this 
like all of this number up to this point before we before we move on yeah um like for me i have this general feeling of of wonder of of questioning you know when i when i first experienced this song and it and it kind of lingered for a while it's a it's something fun to come back to and reconsider but it, like it really tripped me up the first time i heard it why are we given all of these people at the same time? Why are we given Angelica, Eliza, and Philip and talking about work as well, which includes people like Congress, which includes people like Washington? You know, you can, if you want to, you can mentally include into your reckoning here Jefferson Madison, right? Like, why are we, all of these people it's like they're presented as if they're pulling at Hamilton for his attention. You know, and it's like it's this contest of like who's going to actually get it, right? And it I feel like I feel like none of them win. Like they're all fighting for for Hamilton's heart or his his affection, his attention, and none of them win. So my interpretation of like why we're getting all of them at one time is because that's the struggle. Like Hamilton's trying to deal with them all at one time. Like mm-hmm. he is like he is struggling with like he longs for Angelica. He's got his kid's ninth birthday party. He's trying to get this financial plan through. Madison and Jefferson are doing their like that's I think we're getting it all at one time because like the, the setup is kind of like Hamilton's at his desk dealing with all these things at one time and like it's all distilled down into one moment this happens over a period of years i'm assuming but um yeah that was my answer to the question like i don't know yeah none of them win and none of them win like hamilton sucks like there's nothing good happens out of this right like it just doesn't and, and to to a point like the government doesn't win either like he eventually he eventually gets his plans through and eventually we get into the room where it happens and like, you know, things do keep progressing and the the plans are set in motion. Things happen. But the the American legal machine, the American governmental machine doesn't actually benefit from having Hamilton involved in it because he eventually gets kicked out of it anyway. Right. You know, yeah. it's like you have all of these people count uh, all of these people fighting each other. And none of them can possibly win. Absolutely. And I think that's the struggle. I think that helps kind of kind of set up the downfall of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Is right. Like no one's winning here. Everyone's about to lose. And you can kind of get that sense from this song here. Eliza comes up with a great idea. Right? So Philip's kind of finished. She's like, hey, let's go upstate. That'll be fun. Let's go for a vacation. And then Alexander says, I, I'll try to get away, which is, yep, Alexander's going to 150% put all his effort into trying mm-hmm. to get away. I'm sure he's very committed to trying to not work hard at his financial plan. That's going to go really well. But then he starts talking to Angelica again, right? So I'm, you get this sense that Angelica is like some sort of salve. Or some sort of reprieve. Like he's going to try and get away, but he's going to go back to deal with this problem. But the first thing he does instead of dealing with the the issue is write Angelica, at least chronologically, 
in the musical. And this this part is very interesting because this is the part where Angelica starts giving him like actual advice, right? Like sit down with these people, compromise, don't stop till you agree. Like she is now some kind of hype person or some kind of just advisor to Hamilton, like trying to get him through this issue, which I've always found super cool because that's not like a place for women in this time. Right. So I find like it helps cement them as like equals like Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton is going to ask and or take advice from Angelica in matters that which women at the time would not normally have their opinion asked or cared about at all. Right. And I, I really enjoy this letter. Yeah. And just picking piggybacking off of that really quickly, I do want to point out in support of your point. There is no explicit Lin-Manuel Miranda sitting down at the table being like, uh, my, my older sister Angelica has always been so nice. I have to write to her now to get all her advice. Like, it's just he <laughs> writes to her and then she like, you don't have anything like that. Okay. He writes to her and then she immediately gives him her suggestions. The implication there, therefore is that she knows her suggestions are welcome, right? She knows that if he is writing her, that whatever she has to say will be accepted by him. And number one, really great representation of her in the show and great representation of her mental prowess and her relationship with Hamilton, but it's also accurate. Just this is one of those things that they brought into the show that you can track down historically that was true because they were mental confidants in each other. And she would give him advice, but being able to talk about this shit was also a comfort for her because it was something that she missed out on. She wasn't really a mover and shaker in political uh, moments in America after she married church and moved to England. Um, it's funny, you know, she's, she's one of the daughters of General Schuyler and eventually her husband becomes a member of parliament, you know, like she really traded sides, (laughs) but, but being in touch with Hamilton keeps her engaged in the, in in the new American government. But yeah, I do. I, I, anyway, uh, sorry. I, I I said it was going to be quick and then I ended uh, rambling because it's me and it's you and we, we do that. But uh, yeah, I just I, I love this in- interaction, and then uh, this eventually leads us into I believe you said English is metal. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like I like a few things here. I love the favorite older sister line, just because like of oh course, yeah, that's not, how, yeah, yeah. that's not how Hamilton thinks of Angelica. Like it's kind of like how like a girlfriend would playfully like talk to you like oh is your favorite older sister and like you know hamilton doesn't consider her his favorite like of course it's true right but it also like that's not what hamilton's think i just like that no it's true on paper but he considers her his plan b that's exactly it like that's that's the part that i find (laughs) playful like and angelica knows that and that's what's playful it's kind of like flirty to me it's like a very flirty way to approach this, but yeah, I put English is metal here. I stole that from Reddit's Nature is Metal. Uh, that's where I got the idea from. English is a fucked up language. Uh, lots of languages have parts of it that are fucked up, but English is like super fucked up. And this is part of it. Like if you're trying to learn this language, it is, I don't even know how anyone successfully does it because it is impossible. So 
my dearest Angelica versus my dearest, comma, Angelica makes so much difference in the way it's interpreted. Like, just that small pause, just that small, like, the Oxford commas getting in there and it's causing a ruckus like it always does. That small pause completely changes how Angelica thinks about this whole situation or how anyone would read it. Like, if you're fluent in English and you'd read it, that comma carries, like, the weight of the world in terms of how you interpret the intention of the line. But also, like, it's such a small thing to have to, like... I'm just, like, pointing this out as, like, a trying to learn this language type of thing. Like, it's, like, it's so... Like, yeah, whatever. Anyways, mm -hmm. this part is interesting because this is reversed from real life. In real life, this happens the other way around where Angelica... Um, misputs the comma there or whatever and hamilton realizes it and i like this adaptation to flip it around for the musical but yeah i just want to put english is metal the language is fucked up this comma is carrying a whole heck of a lot for such a small little piece in the sentence i also love just because you brought up real life that these two would also do the same types of like things to each other in french as well as english because oh, they were yeah. both bilingual because it's just that's that that's was how that's how they were you know <laughs> yeah that's awesome um angelica returns the return of angelica she's back um hamilton not you know what like not as excited but what i like about hamilton's version of this angelica plays it off like she's an adult like she meets her sister, she's laughing, there's a big hug, and then she's like, Alexander, hey, come here, let's bring it in. It's good to see your face, like a normal. And then Alexander, like very sheepishly, is like, hi. Like it's yeah. a very nervous, like I I really enjoy it. It feels very human to me. Like you write each other, like like you're so kind of intertwined. You know each other so well. But there's something about like meeting each other again for the first time in however many years. That just throws Alexander completely off to the point where it's the opposite of Alexander to be quiet and more shy and kind of reserved. I don't know. I just I've really enjoyed this little like high moment. I think it says a lot about his character and how he feels about Angelica. I agree. I think that when Hamilton has little to say, it's much more important than when he has a lot to say. This moment with high, I love that you pull it out. She arrives and all he has to say initially is high. That takes me back to Lawrence dying, and all he says is, I have so much work to do. I think when Hamilton is quiet, that is a lot more worth paying attention to than when he talks for six hours, the convention is listless. Right. I would also, before we move on, I jumped ahead of my own thoughts here, just because I want to call it the lighting folks and the people who do, I can't, what was it called? The people who decide where people stand, like choreographer, just the choreographer. The uh the the choreographer will do the uh the dancing right um anytime there's uh, something that is considered uh uh just not normal movement about the stage the the blocking just like the the staging of actors blocking. where they're just like walking and moving right that's typically done by the director um although it's kind of like this show because it is almost entirely sung through. This musical is like there are, there are no real scenes in the show, right? It's right. almost entirely musical numbers. Um, it's possible that the director did all of the the straight blocking as well. Gotcha. So the blocking folks, the director most likely, and the lighting folks. I want to call out um, just for how they treat Eliza in this song. I think it, there's a few moments just 
from this point backwards that have been really, really awesome. The first is um, at some point near the beginning of the song, I want to say it's the first letter that's being written between Angelica and Eliza. Um, or no, it's when Eliza and Philip are at the piano and he's like my dearest Angelica. Angelica's in the balcony. Uh, Alexander's at his table and they're both lit with very like kind of normal lighting. They're, the color of the color of the costumes in their skin is very accurate. It's very true. I don't know what to call different types of lighting. I'm going to call it like true tone. Like it makes sense. It's just like normal lighting, mm -hmm. right? But Angelica and Philip on the piano are blue. They're very blue. They're kind of drowned out. They're off to the side. And it kind of helps me feel like, oh, Hamilton's focused on it. Like the birthday party is happening. Like they're like Philip and Eliza are over there, like right there next to him. But he's purely focused on Angelica. And the lighting really helps with that. And then the second letter, the lighting does a lot of legwork again. But also the way it's blocked is awesome because Angelica doesn't leave the stage. She kind of just paces around awkwardly. And the first time I noticed that, I was like, that's kind of weird. Why is she doing that? But it's also like, it's freaking awkward. Like her sister's returning. And she's got a lot going on. And her husband's like preoccupation right now isn't even on the job that he's trying so hard to do. Like that's causing him to miss his nine-year-old's birthday party. He's like, he's just writing Angelica again. And that's kind of awkward for a like just because she kind of like walks around aimlessly for a second and then like stands at the piano for like 45 seconds. And I've, I, I've come to really enjoy that blocking because they're kind of setting up the fact just through the lighting and where Angelica or where Eliza is on the stage that Hamilton like would have cheat on her. Like they, they, that's something that she is kind of a secondary concern right now. And I just wanted to call out all the behind the scenes folks making that happen and making that clear for me. It's something that's really good to call out what you're what you're picking up on there. What you're what you're paying attention to is a manipulation of something called perceptual depth. And it's the same as um, like if you're. You know, if you're looking at a forest or a mountain range, you know, if you're looking at it at just any kind of nature scene. Uh, for some reason, I thought that that would be appropriate to use as a reference for you for some reason, maybe something like right. with your daily life. I don't know. But, uh, you know, if you're looking at a mountain range, uh, the, the hills and the mountains that are very close to you will be crisp and you'll be able to see the definition and you'll be able to see mountain peaks. The further you get into the distance, the cooler and the bluer things will appear, right? And they will appear less uh uh defined less crisp and so by putting angelica and hamilton in these warm naturalistic interior tones something feeling very realistic and then eliza recedes into the background into these blues right we can we can represent emotionally if this is how you choose to interpret it we can represent emotionally that Eliza is fading into the background in Hamilton's reckoning, right? She's fading into the background of his life. It's, it's foreshadowing by putting her in shadow, literally, you know, right. by that's putting a, her into the background. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a definite trick that we use all the time because it damn well works. <laughs> it, and it, what, I, what I think I like most about it is I've grown to appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. right like like the lighting yeah. was always fantastic but the blocking 
I like was weird at first, and like the more I revisit it, the more I appreciate it. And I like that even as someone who does this podcast and like has watched, I watched all of Hamilton last night. Like I just watch it all the time. And someone who like I can still pick up things that I really like that change over time, or my perception of them changes over time. And I think that's just obviously everyone knows that I think Hamilton is near perfect, but it's it's a it's something that only happens with like near perfect pieces of art where you can revisit them over and over and over again. And you'll just always find that next level of depth or that next level of thing to appreciate. Um, and I just want to call out all those people behind the scenes, making that, that happen for me. Yeah. It's how, you know, you're really dealing with something good, right? It's because every time you come back to the well, it's got something new to give you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, then we move to a very hilarious part where everyone shits on John Adams for 10 seconds. And that's like, I put in my notes, John Adams, get in the bin with Henry Knox and John Jay. <laughs> just, like, like, just another person Hamilton's going to dunk on for no reason. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, like, so you, you, you've, you've taken that and assigned like the situation to it and have it made sense that way. Like Hamilton sees himself as having a more important role or being a more important person or needing to work harder. Right. But I just like to think of it as like, this is a, like Hamilton already has made his choice. He's not going to go upstate. So he's just going right. to dunk on like they, they, John Adams could be anyone. Like they could have named any person to spend the summer with his family. And Hamilton would have equally just dunked on them too, because he's already made up his mind. Yeah. Um, well, and like, Hamilton insulting like, someone is very him as well. Right. It's just very, that's right. Him, I just like, you know, I just like that John Adams, before he kind of is in the musical the slightest bit, or at least referenced um, in his administration, I just like that we're dunking on him for 10 seconds. You can just add him to the list of people. Um, the next thing I have in my notes is now Angelica and Eliza start like serenading Hamilton, which is the coolest thing, trying to convince him. Not even like, so part of this is like before he says that he's not going upstate, part of it is after he says, but the whole serenading kind of, it's fairly continuous. Um, I like the line, screw your courage to the sticking place from Angelica. And why I like it is because I get how, Ange like, that's how Angelica is perceiving it through kind of how Hamilton has described the situation. But also, like, there's nothing courageous about what Hamilton's doing. Like, he's just the secretary of the treasury trying to, like, he's, he's doing maybe doing a little more work than he has to do. But I'm struggling to find where the courage is here. And so I like that, at least from my interpretation, because to Angelica, right, Hamilton's been describing to her this whole situation where these guys are blocking his plan and he's gonna to try and get it through. And there might be an element of courage in that, but like, to me, it's just like, he's just being a turd. Like, he's just being a shit. Like, there's no courage in it. Well, no, there isn't. And that's why I, that's why I particularly love this quote here. You know, because in its, in its original employment, it's Lady Macbeth trying to convince her husband to actually kill the king and ascend their place, right? So this is Angelica, you know, taking the Macbeth reference from Hamilton and she's turning it back on him. She's trying to, to get him, like, by quoting Macbeth herself, she's trying to say, you, you said that this was, you know, a Scottish tragedy. You said that this was Macbeth. Okay, this is like her last ditch effort. I'm going to quote Macbeth back at you. I'm going to try to get you, you know, like, just, just be with us. You know, what, what's interesting to me is, or I guess what's most interesting is that in the original employment in Macbeth from Shakespeare, 
it's it it's Lady M trying to get Macbeth to do something very very dastardly. It's Lady Macbeth trying to get Macbeth to commit regicide. And Angelica is using the same line to try to get Hamilton to do something noble, which is just spend time with his family. <laughs> right. You know? I also like and so and like Angelica has already tried the and I like the way the way Renee Goldsberry delivers this, I think is different than how it, it's intended and different than how the other actresses might deliver it, depending on where you're seeing Hamilton. But preceding this, she says like very like the way the way Renee looks in the Disney Plus version, it's almost like very sarcastic. Like I know you're very busy. I know your work's <laughs> important. Like like she's like saying those things because Hamilton's gonna want to hear them. But you can tell she's mm-hmm. like even before this, she's like just shut the fuck up and come to like also like you said, why don't you just work from the mansion yeah. upstate? Like why don't you just write your letters from there? Uh, the whole thing is. Dumb. But yeah, this is Angelica's last ditch effort um to to get Hamilton yeah. to, for to what, come up for, for what it's worth, right? I don't think we're supposed to think Hamilton is making a good decision here. No, like not I at think all. that the 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 payoff from Eliza and Angelica here, like Sue and Goldsberry both do a really good job of being right. They do a really good job of being on the right side of this scenario. You know, um, and and to that point, she can she can be as uh, she can be as well, however she wants, honestly, because she's right. I mean, that whole thing about uh, I know you she I, I guess passive aggressive is the phrase I'm looking for. Maybe, you know, I know your work's important, you know, or as like as, as indulging, right, trying to massage the situation like Hamilton. I know, yeah, you're you're working hard. You're no John Adams. You're a good employee. <laughs> good exactly boy. Like I get it. I get it. Like. Yeah. Like I that could be what's at play there, but at the same time, like if that would have worked, what a difference it would have made. <laughs> I also want my I want a headcanon this dynamic if he does go upstate. Like, does he just wake up, like say hi to Eliza and Philip for 10 seconds? And spend all his day like playing chess with Angelica and just vibing about Macbeth. Like I don't. One hundred percent. Yes. This whole, like if he does go upstate, the situation is still fucking awkward. Like, I, right? Like he'll end up spending the entire time up there. Like Eliza, go away. Angelica's here, and we're on a level that you're not on, and we're gonna vibe over here. I don't. Like I don't here's, know what the. Here's what I think happens. Like they. <laughs> Here's here's my head cannon, is that right. the like eventually the kids have to go to bed first, and then the okay. three of them the three of them play rummy or maybe like a three player uh, billiard game like cutthroat you know some variation of snooker or something like that maybe. Uh, maybe they throw darts. I can see Angelica being really good at darts. Yeah, like she could kill absolutely. you at cricket. I think Betsy, I don't know, but Angelica sure. But I, I think that there's at least one night. There's at least one night at the lake where Eliza goes to bed early. And I, you know, and I, I, I can see something happening, but we, but there's no, there is no, historical proof that it actually ever happened between yeah i'm not talking about like hamilton 
but the dynamic is like, yeah, I definitely see them like trying to find time alone. And like, if, if Betsy right. goes to bed early, neither Hamilton or Angelica are going to be like, okay, well, yeah, and I'm also talking about, like, Angelica came alone. She came alone. Her husband right. stayed in Ex- London. Yes, there's so, it, yes. so much about this. I don't think, I don't think that in the, in the other situation, there still ends up being an affair. Just with the way Angelica reacts to the affair later, I think there's a line there that you get right up into that point, but I think you still stick pretty non-physical, is my guess. But I'm talking about just like the awkwardness of like months, a months-long vacation in which your husband just wants to spend a lot of time with your sister and not with you. It's mm. still weird. Like it's not like that's the from for Eliza. I still think this ends up being kind of weird and awkward just not as bad as what ends up happening. And anyway, I just like the head cannon. What actually happens if he does. Go yeah. I think it, I think it ends up being awkward too, but what still will always fascinate me is that she was very, very proud of getting someone that she considered to be her Prince Charming. And her friends did not have husbands that were as as handsome or as witty or as smart as Alexander was. And she actually was, you know, she didn't mind Angelica's infatuation with, with her husband because she was proud of the fact that she was the one that got, you know, she was actually like an ego thing. Like, of course you want my husband. He's amazing. It's he's out. He's Alexander Hamilton. They're going to write a musical about him one day. Uh, because, you know, Angelica's husband, uh, John, John Barker Church, John Baker Church was like this really rich fat dude, you know? Um, and so like, I, I, I don't know. It's a, I think it's a relationship that history will never truly understand because it was complex and existed. 100% 100% in the gray. It, uh, a phrase that I know we love to use, but it's just, I don't think we're ever going to understand it. It is not, it's not appropriate to call it a menage a trois because there was no like inter-sister stuff going on, but, but Betsy and Angelica kind of both understood that both were attracted to, to Alexander and it was just kind of okay. I mean, they would, they would write letters to Angelica together. And that uh, just blows my mind. Um, and save those all are the postage, man. Post was expensive well, back in the day. Yeah, but those are some of the letters that have been redacted by their family before they were published. So I'm like, what? What the hell was going on here? But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think that it would still. I, I do agree with you that it would be, it would be hella awkward at some point. But I think it's worth it's worth remembering that there was a level of understanding between these three that is believable that we don't quite understand ourselves. And I love how the show goes a little bit towards the way of 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 showcasing this, like the sisters together being excited to see Hamilton together and him singing the Skylar sisters. And it's all about you cannot join us upstate. It's all about you can, you know, I came all this way. She came all this way. I mean, it's very much a, 
united Skylar sister front that that is as close to polyamory without being that because it's right. not that because it's not like it's canonically not in the show but it's how close can we get you know like can we like playing polyamory limbo how low can we put <laughs> okay, we go. the rod right you know maybe that's why peggy wasn't included she just wasn't vibing with it she's like nah i'm not with this like, I don't need <laughs> yeah. to be involved. Like the two is already too many Skylar sisters for this situation. I'm just not involved in this act of the musical. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start the musical with her being included and in saying she loves him, but then she's like, ah, oh, this is too much. I'm not. I yeah. still, I know, I still don't get. I, I, every time I watch Hamilton, I'm like, it's the one thing I'm still not fully right because like it's like me. I loved him, but like Peggy's like, yeah, me too. And then just I don't know. Anyways, whatever. Um, so for me. End, my r- real quick on that my thing there is that that moment is about the different kinds of love i see betsy as having like true romantic love i see angelica being the unrequited uh you know my chemical romance love right and then peggy <laughs> right. is pure is pure fraternal love right so the three of them loving him is sa- is showcasing how the skylar family on the whole took him in and loved him in their own different ways that's why I think it's included there. So that's just me. If that helps you and out at all. Peggy also does confide in him. We learned yeah. that. Huh? Yeah, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Sure. Angelica tried to take a bite of him. <laughs> yes, she still is trying. Yeah. It's, it's a never, like, that, that, the attempts of the bite never go away. I think, I think that's where we're at is she's still trying. Um, at the very end of this song. Things go a little dark. Things get a little bleak. You get the sense that things are not trending in the right direction for these guys. Um, Hamilton does another Hamilton pull away. Very kind of similar to in the end of nonstop where he's starting like yanking his hands out of the sister's arms. He's like, I'm running up the stairs because I'm Hamilton. Um, he kind of <laughs> retreats a little bit. He kind of retreats a little bit. And he says, like, I have to get my plan through Congress. I can't stop until we get this plan through Congress. And I really enjoy that. I think before that, he also says, like, I'll lose my job if we mm. don't get this plan through Congress. So he is at least, what, regardless of what, what we think about this decision to go up, say he has, like, a consistent justification in his own mind for it. Like, I have to get this plan through Congress, which I guess I cannot do from the Schuyler Mansion, which I'm now thinking about for the first time. But that's his justification for it. He's like, pull him. He's like, I can't go. I've got to do this work. Like, there's just no way I can combine the two. Um, and so Hamilton makes a bad choice. It is wild to me that with everything we know about him and Angelica and all that, that he does not go upstate. I suppose... Not taking your consideration into account, it's kind of like Hamilton but choos- or choosing between two different versions of himself. Because while we know his relationship with Angelica is very important to him, we also know his work is very important to him, and he's finally having to prioritize A over B or B over A. Like he's trying, he's finally having to kind of pick one over the other. I guess I don't know. The whole justification system from Hamilton is dumb. He should go upstate, spend some time with his family. This doesn't make sense to me at all. But hey, it's not meant to make sense. It's meant to be a bad choice that has consequences. And so I find his justification to be completely lacking and that I think he should go upstate with his family. Yeah. And also I do too. in real life they have multiple kids. Like this is not just in the show it's just Philip, right? But him not doing this IRL 
is like even worse because they have like a whole badass family, like a big family. It's not just Philip. Yeah, it's not until later, you know, when he talks about, you know, I take the the children to church on Sunday, right? But at this point, they would have had, I think, I think three or four children. I think at this point, they they may have been fostering um, the the child that they did for a few years, um, which is uh, I forget their name, but anyway, yeah. So, you know, what he's doing here, I mean, this is this is extra canonical to the show. But it makes it worse to know that Angelica comes from London to go on vacation. And now she's like the babysitter because Hamilton is staying in town. You know? Um, And that's a week's long trip from London. This is not a quick trip from London. No, there's there's no Concord. This is like this is weeks of sailing months, maybe on a on a galleon or a frigate, you know? Right. Like this is a this is a big deal. Uh and she's got children of her own at this point. Um and you know funny enough the reason that she eventually goes back to London is because she gets a letter saying that a couple of her kids have gotten sick. Ah. So she's taking she's taking care of the Hamilton children for who knows how long the summer because their plan was to be on vacation for the summer because that's what you did back then. Like going on vacation was a pitch and a half. Still, what right? you do in like Europe in a lot of like summer vacations in a lot of European countries are like like they might as well the be summer. like constitution they might as well be constitutionally mandatory like everyone's peacing <laughs> out like like Spain Italy like these people like get eight weeks of vacation every year and they're going on vacation for the summer it's still like a very prevalent part of a lot of cultures as well they should do there's a restaurant back home that just takes the entire month of August off like they just they don't work in <laughs> August yeah. You know, it's sure. like, right. you know, it's one of the best gigs in, uh, in town you can get because you're paid and you just get August off. Off August yeah. is too hot to work anywhere, in my opinion. Just just take it off. Yeah, I think I think I think the let's dive deep official take is that unless you're in the southern hemisphere in which August is the middle of winter, uh, everyone should just get we should all like go into like some kind of high, like a big month long siesta, all of the northern hemisphere can just take a month-long siesta in August. I'd, I'd support that. That's what I'm saying. I think that we should be able to, like, someone could, you know, someone could, like, hold up August and and be like, do you like this? And we'd be able to say, I say no to this. <laughs> All right. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. There'll be a jingle. And we're going to be back with say no to this in just a moment. We are back after a scintillating conversation kind of off in between there about beanbag chairs and <laughs> engagement parties or whatever. Uh, we are back with Hamilton. Huzzah! Say no to this is here. The downfall of Hamilton uh, is hitting critical mass. It's actually it hits more critical mass, but this is like the first level of critical mass that it hits. I put the first thing I put in my notes, and we're going to talk about Burr's narration because that actually happens first, but what I put in my notes first for this song was the second this song starts, you know they're going to fuck. And the reason (laughs) why I'm saying that is because there's a fine line here because what you don't want to do is you don't want to give something away so explicitly that it kind of takes away from the surprise of it all because this happens very quick. And I don't think up until this point, the first time, right? Like 
if you didn't hear the first bit of this song and you just kind of stopped at the end of Take a Break, you would assume that things aren't like going particularly well, but you don't then go, oh, he's definitely cheating on his wife in the next song. It takes kind of hearing the intro to this one to start getting that into your brain. So on one hand, you don't want what you're doing to make it so obvious that when it actually happens, you're like, it kind of ruins the the shock value of it. But what I think this song absolutely nails is it's just musically perfect for the moment. And well, you can, well, the first time I listened to it, I just knew what was going to happen, right? It doesn't take away from it actually happening. It kind of gives you time to mentally prep for like, how is this going to happen? Um, and I really, really enjoy that because you either, you either like hear the first bit of the song and you go, huh, this is interesting. Oh my God. Okay. He's going to, they're going downtown. Okay. I get it. Or you listen to the first bit, you realize what's going to happen. And then you have the time you're kind of like, oh my God, how is this go Like, oh no, is he really going to do it? Oh my God. Like either way it works really well. And I think there are a few songs. Nonstop is one of them. This one's one of them where I think musically it is, is perfect. There's nothing about it that I would change. Like for what they're going for musically, this is perfect. Well, and don't discount as well the uh, callback to there's nothing like summer in the city, uh, you know, from act one, right? So we already get the idea that courtship is in the air here. We get the idea that, uh, uh, you know, uh, God, what are Burr's lines before, you know, I know it's not funny, but your perfume smells like your daddy's that got like that whole, like we know, right that the idea here is companionship and Hamilton's companions have left. Right. So he's, he's got to end up with someone, you know, it's just at this point, it's a question of who, right. Right. And so Burr starts narrating here and it is that callback. There's nothing like um, summer in the city, but the, the tone could not be more different. This kind of feels like, like it, the tone of it is like something bad's going to happen. And then Burr changes his lines a little bit. Like someone under stress meets someone looking pretty is not the line from earlier. Right. And so immediately when Burr says that, like someone under stress, who's that? It's Hamilton. You can see him like writing at his desk, but also you just know that in this situation, he's the one under stress meets someone looking pretty. You're like, Oh shit. Oh mm -hmm. dang. Mm -hmm. Here we go. And then Burr, very unlike Burr, and I love this on multiple levels. So I think in your notes, you said this is far too intimate a moment for Burr to narrate. Like Hamilton has to narrate yeah. this moment. And th yeah, and that's, that makes a, a that's lot of my sense. thoughts about Yeah, that's, that's why the handoff is there. Yeah. But I, have, I mean, because I have kind of like two more layers to this. Yeah, by all means, go ahead and then I'll jump in for sure. Yeah. So my if second you want. layer is that. Yeah, my second layer is that um, Hamilton narrating this lines up really well because he also writes the Reynolds pamphlet. So it just kind of lines up really well that Hamilton uh, would tell you this story because he's going to tell the world kind of a, a slightly different version of this story um, kind of later on. And the third layer that I really like is Burr getting the dig in on Hamilton and being like, hey, this shitty thing that no one's going to like you for doing you get to tell them about it because that's hilarious. So those are the three <laughs> levels that I appreciate about so, Burr handing over. So that third one, I had never thought about that. I had never thought about it in that way. Like, oh, you, what you did, you're going to have to justify it yourself. Like, like this is going right. to be on you. 
Um, the second one I love because, you know, this this sets up that we're going to hear how it ends in Hamilton's own words. So it makes sense that we hear how it begins in his own words as well. Um, it's interesting to me that this is the perfect opportunity for Burr to be even more like vicious, really dig in on Hamilton. This is where Burr can be like, you want to know what this dude did? This guy that always tried to put me down? You want to know what he he did this? And yet the story takes Burr and is like, you know what? Meanest thing I could do to Hamilton right now is make him explain it himself. That's it. That's like, I'm I, I, I don't think yeah, one I love level that. is better than the other. I just I just put all three together and I enjoy them as like the three layers of this Oreo. They're all fun. Yeah, for sure. Separately, they're all fun. It's like they're all fun separately. You smash them together and it's even better. Oh yeah, they yeah, they do. Because it's not like it's not a situation where you have to have one out of the three, right? When you add them to each other, the cumulative result is better than if you just had only one, you know? I think that uh Oh God! What's the saying that the sum is better than than the whole of the parts or whatever? Synergy, synergy is the sum is or is greater than the or the the total is greater than the sum of its parts. Like yeah, the that's what it of is. Synergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why you know so many so many of the moments in this show that we love are like, well, it's all true. You know, it doesn't have to be either or. It's all of this combined. It's all of this on top of itself, right? And I think that that is, this is one of those moments. Um, So I think that, so all of that being said, I think that part of, part of what happens here is Burr turning the narration over to Hamilton is giving Hamilton to like make his case. Hamilton's a lawyer, right? Burr's a lawyer. I think that we get here, we get Hamilton's opening argument, right? And Hamilton gets yeah. to gets to start to make his his like case for us. Like, look, I ain't slept in a week. I was tired. I was stressed. There's all this stuff going on. So I'm asking you, juror number one, Bradley Kennekin, does does Alexander Hamilton Esquire make his case and make him a sympathetic character for for you here? No, okay. For, I'll answer the question, but first, I, I always draw this parallel here. Hamilton is kind of justifying, like, a lot of this song is Hamilton making a justification for his actions, and I've always mm-hmm. drawn the parallel with later, at the at the very end of the musical, going into that, the very end, like, the Ten Duel style song, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, um, where Burr and mm-hmm. Hamilton are dueling. Burr is telling that from the perspective that he already has killed Hamilton and he's retelling it. And he is making a justification. Like, look it up. He was wearing his glasses and that was a great reason to shoot him. Right? Like he is, he is justifying that to us. And so I've always drawn the parallel. Like this is Hamilton's chance to justify his poor choices. And later Burr's going to get a chance to justify his poor choices and explain why he did them. Um, No, Hamilton does not make his case here. He's a little shit. He's a shithead. No, absolutely not. Guilty on all counts. <laughs> you don't even... All of it. It's guilty. <laughs> Juror number one. 
Well, the verdict has come in. That's the episode, everybody. No, I I, I, I agree I will, with you, I, but I I but I love I love that parallel because this is this is Hamilton laying out the facts for us, right? This is him saying, "Look, this this was the situation I was under. This is why I reacted the way I did." Later, Burr does the same thing. It's you know it spans an act. This is still fairly early in Act Two, but like we do get that parallelism between the two of them. Um, and I, oh God, I've never thought about it this way before, but now I'm thinking of in my mind, like just someone on the stand being like, and you shot that man. Why? He was wearing glasses. I'm sorry. If I see someone wearing glasses, okay. I just assume they're about my, to shoot. My yeah. They're about to shoot Burr's me. narration. My commentary on Burr's narration for the end of the musical is going to be wild because it bounces around <laughs> from brilliant to straight up ridiculous to stupid to very intelligent. Like all of it is amazing here though hamilton's initial justification let's start we already know he's gonna sleep with this woman it's kind of how is this gonna happen so hamilton starts by saying he hadn't slept in a week he was weak he was awake um you've never seen a bastard orphan more in need of a break so let's start there this is hamilton's initial setup for the mood he was in and this is where i am going to start my not comparison because the situations are entirely different, but in terms of kind of where they end up mentally for me, I'm going to start my Hamilton and Severus Snape comparison here, because what <laughs> happens for both of them is there are, like, every, it's the same, like, all, most of life happens in the gray, but what happens for both of them is when you take into consideration all of their actions, right? Not just this moment for Hamilton, not just the, the prince's tale, and that whole storyline for Snape. But when you consider everything else as well, both of these characters end up so fucking far in the gray. Like, they're just so in the mud that you can't even really sort out, but we can't really even pull it apart. And I really like that. Because on one hand, there is no justification. Eliza is the fucking best. There is no justification for him to go and do this. But on the other hand, right... People who are stressed, who haven't slept in a week, who are in need of a break, who are calling themselves like you've never seen a bastard orphan more. Like that's how he's describing himself in this situation. People under that kind of stress and pressure, which we know he genuinely is because Washington said like you will be fired. Like we know that's true. This kind of pressure, some of it's self-imposed, but those people are more prone to making poor choices like Hamilton does, right? Because this song, like... When they go upstate, Hamilton doesn't immediately go, oh, I guess I can sleep with other women now. That's what I've always wanted to do, right? Like, it's not, wasn't, it wasn't his intention at the end of the last song to end up in this situation. But once the situation presents himself, he has, he's so far in the mud mentally that he just can't dig himself out of it. And he can't, he's not prepared to make a good choice here. And I had the same kind of, um, kind of comparison in one of my Bridgerton episodes where Daphne, uh, one of the characters, does something really bad, really terrible, mm -hmm. right? And my my not defense of it, like there's no defense of the action, but one of the points I was trying to make is like, did you expect her to do anything different here? Like if you take the sum of everything that happened, you get to this point, to this point, like she was not prepared to make a good choice. So it shouldn't be surprising that she made a terrible one. I feel the same with Hamilton. Like he, it, once he gets to the point where he is in this situation, it lines up perfectly for me that he ends up just going w with what happens here. Like that lines up for me with the character, with the story, with like 
how he's set up to make a choice here. He's not in the right space to make a really good choice. And so that was a lot of just talking and ranting about it. But that's where I'm starting with all of this. It's a really good place to start. Uh, I well, and maybe I'm biased because I agree. But like my general impression of the whole song is one line compared to your very exhaustive and well-written notes. My general impression of this entire number is, are we actually surprised? Question mark. No, period. That's, you know, it's, and that's not, that's not forgiving Hamilton, right? That's not me encouraging Hamilton or saying that it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's just when you get up to this point in the show, are you actually surprised? No. And we're building on the back of, we're reliable with the ladies. We're building on the back of Martha Washington named her feral tomcat after him. We're building on the back of he will never be satisfied. And he's compromised here, right? He's vulnerable um, to himself as much as he is to Mariah Reynolds. That's another thing. Like, he's not operating at his... uh at his uh, highest level of mental acuity here. He's, he's tired, probably intoxicated, you know, probably, probably a little bit tip tip, you know, maybe a a little, a little mulberry wine to, to get him through the evenings. Uh, But sounds so good though. I know. I know it is. I could go with a wine. I could definitely go with a wine right now. Sorry. Well, you know, Maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine, and let's dive deep into <laughs> Hamilton. But, I mean, it's it still doesn't make... Even if you consider the circumstance that he's in, right? Much like Burr is in the circumstance of envy and rage in that duel, if, you want, if we want to keep that comparison motif going. You can, you can try to understand Hamilton's mental landscape here and his emotional landscape, I draw a distinction between those two, even though some people don't, but, but I do. I, I draw a distinction between the, um, the mental acuity, the philosophy, and, and the emotional components. This makes no sense. This is the stupidest thing he could possibly do. I mean, he's, he's arguably still Washington's right-hand man, even though Washington has a vice president. We already canonically know that John Adams doesn't have a real job anyway, right? Hamilton, in the context of the musical, is the second most important man in this country right now. And he is opening himself up to scandal. And we're skipping over the fact that Eliza is the best of wives, best of women. I don't mean to discount that, right? But like, this is just so stupid. I don't like the the more you explore it, the more you realize how dumb it is. He's the smartest man in the show, and yes. he makes the biggest mistake possibly, right? <laughs> <And> only, <You> know? <laughs> right. So there's there's a lot here. Like I just want to because this is happening so far in the gray, and I really love exploring this with characters. The reason why I wanted to kind of talk about the gray with Alexander is because. All of this is quite close to black, right? This is not like we're talking about black or all the bad things, black or good or all the right, like right on the scale of gray. This is much farther to the bad side of it, right? Mm-hmm. But there's still levels within there, right? Like Alexander Hamilton, right? He didn't not go up. Like the situation is not 
that Alexander Hamilton was like trying to have an affair and that was his intention. So he's not going to go upstate. That was his chance to get everyone out of his life. Like that is a different level of black than all of the sort of like all these little things lining up to this terrible choice. And so that's where I want to draw the, like it's still very close to black, but there are different levels there. That's not the same situation. And this whole thing is so dumb for so many reasons. All the reasons why it's dumb, it's dumb, right? Not only is having an affair here terrible for political prospects that he's worked so hard for, terrible for his current kind of status. Like he's he's currently trying to be an upstanding member of the government, trying to get his plan through, right? Like giving your your all the other people don't like you already. Like you pissed them off until mm-hmm. you had a two-party system. Like you are opening yourself <laughs> up to that scandal. Right. right. Which is not even the most important thing. The next thing is that you have an incredible wife, like best of wives, best of women, who presumably, like we've seen, have a good relationship with eh, when you're mm-hmm. not working too hard. But like, that's fine. But also the other, your side bay, your plan B was just here. Like was just here, like came all the way from London. Right. So how Alexander has Eliza and Angelica in his face 10 seconds ago. And then like 10 seconds later ends up with Mariah Reynolds makes no sense. Like it makes perfect sense, but no sense at all. That makes it so much worse, right? Because like if we really if let's just let's just go ahead you and me. Let's let's join let's join Hammy in destroying our own public reputations, right? And let's you know, okay. It would be more forgivable if he had cheated on Betsy with Angelica. Like, if we really want to live in the gray, like, you could understand that more than someone random from down the street. Right? Because you've got the emotional investment there. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's more approvable. I'm saying it's more understandable in a dramatic context. Especially because we've talked about the, you know, the weight behind their relationship and all that. But Having someone come out of the blue and this happen, right? It is, it is unforgivable. It is completely, it, yes. and it just, it's, it, it, the fact, you know, it makes it so wonderful when we get to the Hamilton's move uptown forgiveness. Can you imagine, you know, right? Where, where Betsy does find her forgiveness for him. But, I mean, also, all of that personal stuff aside, we'll never know for sure because it's hard to what if history, but I do believe this is one of those quote unquote magical moments. And I really do believe had he just gone on vacation with his family, he would have eventually been president. He would not have been our forgotten founding father. Like, I really do believe this is what makes sure that he's never able to be president. This completely destroys his rep. This is it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know too much about it, but I would assume so. Like, the show makes it seem like this is the crux. Like, later, Jefferson in his face, like, ha, 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 you'll never be president now. Well, throwing, yeah. like, shit all over the state. Like, that, that's what the show is kind of implying, is that, like, this is the moment where he fucks everything up. He's well, still, it was. He's I mean, this was more things up. He but is, this is, but the this big was fuck up right here. This was America's first sex scandal. Like he was, he was the <laughs> he, he was the uh, the the revolutionary era Rob Lowe. 
like nothing had happened before Hamilton did. I mean, they called him uh, America's uh, Lothario Treasury Secretary or something like that. Like he was like it was known that this sex scandal happened and it completely destroyed his political uh, potential. What gets me, though, is that and uh, trying to trying to focus on on some of the positive things um, here um, that that end up being a little more negative for Hamilton, but still are positive for the show and positive overall. Right. The show does not over sexualize Mariah Reynolds. It doesn't make her into like a corner of the street temptress harlot. Yeah, she's not. Um, a, she's, she's not. A harlot. Not, that's what. That's the word. She's I not. Yeah, you know, she's not that. She's not. Um, she's not a trope, right? Mariah Reynolds, the character in the show, is not a stereotype. She's not some kind of uh, gimmick, right? She's not a gimmick that's employed against Hamilton. She's she she's a full woman she is a full character and and he is the one that i i think the show portrays him as being the one at fault and i really like that i like that we can take the protagonist and say you are the one that made a mistake in the presence of this woman the show does not explicitly say that the woman tricked you fooled you hoodwinked you like the Mariah is not explicitly an antagonist, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Be, because it makes it, it it makes it a Grecian tragedy in a way that it's all his doing, you know. And we're just trying to see how it how it turns out, right? And I I really do like, that. and that I think goes back to the discussion of keeping him in the gray, right? If she's Cruella DeVille or she's uh if she's Elizabeth Slutty Mick Slut Lady, uh then right. he can't be at fault, right? Because she's the sexiest uh, yes, thing you've ever right. seen. And now right? Right. But if she's a whole character, if she's empathetic, if she's a human, right? If she's humanized then we understand where the blame lies. And I really commend the show for that. I love that so much. I can't wait for the Rick and Morty episode where there's a character called Slutty Mixed Slut Lady. <laughs> Just, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, well, well, we're talking about Mariah Reynolds. I, I completely agree with all of that. Like, the show and us, at least me and I think you, like, we blame Hamilton entirely for this situation. Mariah Reynolds yeah. is not the one at fault for this at all and let's talk about how mariah reynolds kind of gets into hamilton's life because he's going to tell that yeah. story um so the first thing is so i like how do you interpret i want to spend too much time on this because i think it's not overly important and i think it's whatever but the line we're about to get to mariah reynolds like longing for angelica missing my wife i have so many thoughts about this line so he names angelica but not his wife Bruh. he's naming angelica but not his and wife. angelica right? he's longing, longing for Longing, longing for, for her his wife like i miss her i miss her uh we even made the same hand gesture when we said that like clearly yeah this is a problem it is a problem that he is longing for angelica but missing his wife because i say longing for is more intense than just missing 
right. in my but humble also, like, opinion. The, like not even naming your wife, like naming Angelica, but just your wife, as if Eliza's just your wife and not like a, a real person. Right. Uh, just the whole. Now line that being really said, I want to acknowledge that every verbal choice is a choice. Like every time you make a choice as to what word to use, it's important. But wife rhymes with mariah reynolds walked into my life better than you can rhyme eliza you know sure because like your other options would be like and i was also longing for betsy but then mariah reynolds showed up and i started getting feisty like you don't have as many options you know so so there is that right but yeah it Um, is it is worth calling out Anyway, so Hamilton just fully in the mud. And then Mariah Reynolds. Why? That's when Miss Mariah Reynolds walked into his life. She said, just she, okay, the, the, the way this is staged on, yeah, I kind of just want to sing this song now. The way that she is like blocked or choreographed or whatever, right? The slow walking around with Burr at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. The red dress really signifies something to me, like the bright, red of the dress is a very like sexual romantic kind of vibe to it like you get that this is where it's going but it's a very like like she's a real person like she this is not the purpose like she's like it's not like a revealing dress or anything it's just like what anyone else would be wearing but the red of it really i don't know like jasmine jones playing mariah reynolds here is incredible i have not done my or even thought about my end of act two awards but I'm going to call mm. it Jasmine Jones supporting performance here as it's really just good. incredible, incredible. I want to, I want to I, I talk about that dress some more. I got some things to say about that dress, but I do also want to second you on that. And like, she, she here delivers a performance that is number one, completely different from Margaret from act one. But number two is this balance between sex appeal that that feels like earnest and genuine you know it's like it's not pornographic it's just she is like she is delivering an attractive performance on stage like it's not it's not porn hub it's just she's an attractive right. and sensual woman delivering a sensual uh performance right and it lands so you can believe that like he would be attractive but at the same time it's not you know there's no obscenity here it still does that thing that this show does so well. It approaches uh, period affectations without being purely historically accurate. It's just flawless. Right. It's a flawless performance. Anyway. All right. Mariah's here. She's so sorry to bother him at home, but she came here all alone. Um, her husband's doing her wrong, beating, cheating, all this kind of stuff. Right, so Hamilton, at the beginning here, responds. So I actually want to talk about Mariah Reynolds a little bit. So this part I'm taking, I don't agree with the analysis a whole lot. Um, but if you haven't, if you're listening to this and haven't watched Catherine Ryan, she's a stand-up comedian. Um, she's done five minutes in one of her stand-up comedy specials was about this song the first time she saw Hamilton. So I'm pulling this piece of analysis from that. If you guys want to go to YouTube and just search Catherine Ryan Hamilton stand-up. It's very funny. The analysis, I don't think, is quite there, but she's a comedian not doing a podcast called Let's Dive Deep Hamilton. 
Um, <laughs> but let's talk about this situation from Mariah's point of view. So whether or not it's a setup or not, we kind of never really get clarity. I'm leaning towards probably not. But um, so Mariah Reynolds is in this situation. If we're taking like everything at face value, she's in a bad situation. It makes sense to me that she goes to Hamilton for help. This is a figure of public trust. This is a figure, like the second most important man in the country. This is someone you can, like, he is meant to, at some level, represent you and help you, your fellow citizen in this country that you're building. And when she goes for help, he kind of at least starts there. Like, offer her a loan, offer to walk her home, which, Hamilton, come on, like, her husband is beating and cheating and all that. Like, don't take her home, you idiot. Anyways, whatever. Um, right? Like, he at least starts with that. But from Mariah Reynolds' perspective, I think, while we're humanizing her, I think this makes a lot of sense. If you are in need of help, and somewhere nearby is the second most important person in your country, and a figure that carries a great amount of public trust, that's who I would go to for help. If I just had, if I had to go to a random person for help, I would pick Hamilton in this situation, because he's meant to be at least theoretically helpful or at least carries that weight of trust if that's making sense yeah no i 100 percent agree um you know when when the constitution was finally ratified there was a per, a parade thrown in hamilton's honor in new york city he was the person that got washington to run for president there were people that wanted to change the name of new york city to hamiltonia because of everything he was doing for <laughs> the new Republic, you know, there were like, I mean, seriously, there was, a, um, uh, it was, a, it was, there was like a, a, a I didn't, you know, uh, until a couple years ago, I didn't know that there were floats this early, but like there was a float. They made a mock frigate that like was, was part of the Washingtonian, uh, inaugural like parade or something. And uh, it was named the the SS uh, or the 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 Royal Ship Federalist in honor of the the Hamiltonian Federalists, you know, that like making the Constitution. I mean, he yeah, he was a celebrity, right? He was a local celebrity. So if you were if you were near him and could get access to him, of course you would try to do so. And so you can't fault her for that, I don't think, or at least I don't fault her for that. You know, no, now, of course not. Not at all. as the as the story goes, uh, after he offered to give her assistance, um, the uh, legend has it she was staying in a boarding house at this point, like she was estranged from her husband and living alone in a boarding house. And he walked her back to the boarding house and she uh went to the top of the stairs to her private chambers and informed him that uh something other than fiduciary compensation would be acceptable and so uh that's when like he had the opportunity to sleep with her or not right so so history kind of confirms that the final choice was led up to him you know, right. Like he yeah. was the one that like he made the ch and then the musical adaptation and the historical record both confirm that he had the choice to shut it down after one instance and chose not to. Right, right. I think once I think what like 
again, it's different levels of gray. Sleeping with mm -hmm. her multiple times is worse than just the once, but it's all that's pretty, closer to the black. Pretty, closer to the closer black. to the black, yeah. exactly. So, and that's like within what's happening here. So, Hamilton starts out doing a good job. Offered her a loan, offered to walk her home, gave her thirty bucks, which is a lot of money back in the day. I'm sure it's a couple hundred dollars, thirty bucks. So within the musical, he walks her home. They are standing outside of her dwelling, right? And then he says, "Well, I should head back home." Or this is the last point at which Hamilton makes any good decisions <laughs> for a very long time, <laughs> right? Then this part, I'm like, "Okay, Hamilton, I know you're narrating this, but shut the fuck up," right? She turned red. Fine. Sure. She <laughs> led me to her bed. Hamilton. No. What? Did she, like, pick you up and, like, carry you? Like, what do you mean she led you? Like, just leave. Are you incapable of leaving this situation? Like, I don't understand. Like, obviously, he chooses to sleep with her, and that's his choice. But, like, Hamilton, you're an adult. Like, and it's presumably, like, physically, like, even if she, like, was trying to, like, trap you in some weird fucking thing, right? Like, presumably, you can just leave. Like, I don't understand what Hamilton's, like, Hamilton's definitely glossing over with the narration of Bates. Like, I did some shitty things, but I'm gonna make him at least sound as good as possible. She led me to her bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had no choice in the matter. And it's, you just, it's like, so had to boastful. Blindly... Yeah, it's like Penthouse right. Forum. It's so, he's bragging, you know, she led me to her bed, spread her legs. Like, yeah, she, you know, yeah, I, yeah it's like, it's so braggadocio. Yeah. One of my favorite line deliveries though, is after like, let her legs spread and said, stay. And then he goes, Hey, like that's when he's like, Hey, hey yeah. Okay. Okay. Like now, you know what? Now I might be in on this. And I like that line delivery from Lin-Manuel. Oh, it's objectively another really good line reading from Lynn. Like, it really is up there with, oh, shit. Like, it is a good moment, you know? <laughs> All of the emotional complexity aside, like, it's just a good line reading. Uh, the music is good here, too. Like, the, the, the vocal stylings are good. Like, it's all... Like, it really does have some really heavy emotional and musical weight here. It's all good, but it's just so... Like... I don't know. I think that's why I compare it to a Greek tragedy so often, because you really do understand what's about to happen and you're enjoying it, but you you keep wishing that it won't, but you know, it's inevitable, you know, because Hamilton kind of has to do this, right? Like this is in his character. Um, I think it's interesting that in this moment of weakness, he mentions praying, right? Because I was just gonna say that don't... next. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. I think it's interesting because he's not a religious guy. Like, or you right. don't you don't see him as a religious dude. You know. He's not. He's not overt about his faith. You know. I think that he's um. Uh. You know, he, he talks about his faith a little bit in the show, but the most important thing about his faith, he says much later. Right. Sign of, uh, sign of the cross happens. at the door right. after this happens. Right. Later, he says, he you know, takes the children to church on Sundays. He prays, you know, that never used to happen before. Right. So that implies that previously in his life, he wasn't that religious. Um, and uh, it's funny, you know, someone once asked him why uh, God wasn't mentioned um, in parts of the Constitution. And he said, we forgot. 
And uh, Ron Chernow points out that, you know, anyone who knows Alexander Hamilton knows that he never forgot anything. So that lets you know how important God was to him, which is not much. Um, so I think there's two ways to take this, right? One, he's lying, you know, or, or, or he takes prayer less seriously than someone devout or two, he was really struggling and, you know, and hoped to find, find peace, find virtue. Um, unfortunately he doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. So my interpretation of this has always been that Hamilton, like, he knows that he can't quit this. Like, he knows that he does not have the strength to make a, dif- a mm-hmm. different decision here. So I've always interpreted this, like, I don't think he cares. I don't think he, I've never interpreted this that like, he's particularly religious. I just think, like, hey, I'm here. I I can't find the strength that I need for this. Like, if there is a God, like, maybe he'll help me out with this situation. I Oh, I like that. If I'm going to get out of the situation, it is definitely not going to be myself that pulls me out of it. It is going to yeah. be a higher power. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Some I get, kind yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I I definitely get that. Um, God, he's all right, such so an asshole. <laughs> he is. He's the worst. He he's is the, the worst. absolute worst. Okay, so then we have our first. I have so many notes on this. We have our first uh Use of the word helpless here. This is not the most egregious use of the word helpless. So I'm going to save my helpless rant for later, um, where I have <laughs> highlighted it in the notes. Um, anyways, so angry about um, it. As part of the justification, he says, But my God, she looks so helpless. And her body's saying, Hell yes. And later it's going to be, But her body's screaming, Hell yes. This is one of the best songs to like do Hamilton karaoke to because like there's just subtle line changes throughout. So it's actually a little bit of a challenge, but also like just such a bop. Like it's so fun to kind of sing through. Um, and this is the first one, but it's like, dude, you are like, again, an adult, right? Like her body saying, hell yes, is not a good justification. Like try harder. If you're going to justify this to me, try harder. Cause this is not good. If that is like, if you can't like, presumably you've met other attractive women before. Like, presumably Eliza and Angelica aren't the only two attractive women you've ever interacted with. This hasn't happened with anyone else. Like, I don't know. I hate, I hate it all. It makes perfect sense for the musical and his character, but I hate this. Well, I hate it too, because that, part- that particular line, um, I, I rightly or wrongly, her body's screaming, hell yes, and her body's saying, like, all of that is... um for me anyway, like it conjures the ideas of like girls being told to change their clothes in school because they're distracting the guys. Like it's her fault. Like, like it's her, it's her body that is saying, do this right. It's not this. The song is not saying Alexander is not saying it's my mind saying hell yes to the way her body looks right. The, the blame is on her body. And Hamilton, the character, I feel as though Hamilton, the character, is putting the blame on her in a way that Hamilton, the show, does not. I feel like the show is much kinder to Mariah Reynolds than Hamilton, the character, is. Just want to be clear about that. But yeah, like, while it is, while it is an absolute banging song, like, the song does slap. Like, it is also... Um, importantly, 
dealing with some pretty dark things here, you know, because the idea, uh, the idea of her body was saying, hell yes, what could I possibly do? Borderline pretty fucking rapey. You know, like yeah, what, like what, what else bad. could I, I like, it. it's all bad. Um, and it's just, uh, it's interesting discussing this, uh, in the context of just watching, uh, Bo Burnham's inside for like three or four times oh, because it's like the, dude, this, this song is now and yeah, maybe we should save that for post show. Um, but like, like so much from inside the song is, uh, so good it's objectively a good piece of music but dealing with such cringy things um real quick, while we're while we're talking about uh mariah and her like saying yes or not and, like her culpability and all this i, w- I want to come back to the dress a little bit and i want to specifically yeah. call your attention and listeners attention to the decoration on the front of the bodice uh because the top of her dress the bodice of, of her dress is half cross gartered right um it's not it's not a full lacing meaning like it doesn't have x's of lacing on the front right so typically you know if it was a cross gartered bodice it would have x's of lacing like you were looking at um like how you tie your shoes does that make sense right right but hers is only halfway. She only has one line of this lacing. She doesn't have the full X's. So oftentimes in costume design, you use this uh, cross pattern to signify like being controlled or being dominated or being like caged in a way. Um, it's a very common thing to put on Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it's a very common thing to put on characters that are like trapped in a tower or trapped in a cage, right? It, it signifies that they're not exactly in control of their life. I love this costume design moment because they only do it for Mariah Reynolds halfway. So they don't commit to the idea. So you have to decide as the audience member when you see her, like, is she actually in this circumstance with her husband? James Reynolds or not, right? Like, is she is she actually a victim of circumstance or does she have agency? And so you're allowed to evaluate her actions, what she says, her dialogue, uh, and her actions. All of it, you get to make up your opinion for herself. Or you get to make up your opinion about her on your own for yourself, right? And that to me further humanizes her because it doesn't immediately say this is the circumstance she's in. Like you're allowed to doubt you're, you're encouraged to think about her. You're encouraged to think about what exactly is going on. And does that, does that potentially say maybe, you know, does that give more leeway to think that she's more culpable of hoodwinking Hamilton? Uh, maybe, maybe that's some people's thought. I don't know, but I, I for one at least think it's a really smart costume design decision. Um, it's a bit niche, right? Not everybody's gonna catch it, but uh, but I think it's worth pointing out. I think it's pretty damn cool. 
Um, I love uh, I love anything that gives agency and interest to what would otherwise be a minor character, right? Because she she impacts his life in a huge way, but it's not it's not like she's really with us until the end of the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so like whatever complexity we can get out of her right now, like let's dig into it. Yeah, they also use Mariah a lot, kind of like how they used Hamilton during Satisfy. Like she just stands in the background, like especially during Hurricane. Mm-hmm. Like she's just there. Like she's always on the back. Ba- like she's around. Like it's weird because you always just notice her and like many of the numbers after this. Like she's just on the balcony or off to the side. Like she's visible and there, indicating that this whole thing with her is still like it, like Hurricane, like still surrounding Hamilton, and that dress is a big part of that because she stands out in bright red anytime she's around well she does and and that's indicative of the fact that the legacy of this interaction lingered over the rest of his life you know it wasn't it it wasn't a, a, a minor incident this was a huge deal this really mattered and okay, so Hamilton from here starts to Lord show me how to say no to this, which uh, Lord does not help him out, and he is not shown how to say no to this. When her mouth is on mine, he does not say no. So they're making out now. They're making out now. Things are fun. And then he goes, <laughs> he goes, <laughs> kind of dunks on himself a little bit. I wish I could say this was the last time. I said that last time. It became a pastime. And then we get the letter from James Reynolds. So Hamilton's like just telling the audience, hey, this happened a lot. Like, Mm. I wish I could say that only happened once, but it didn't happen. And then her husband found out about it and we get the whole letter. But what do you make of Hamilton kind of just telling the audience straight up? Because he's narrating this. He could give us any information he likes. And I'm assuming we need to know that this was a frequent thing. So Lin-Manuel put it in there. But within the musical, Hamilton is like letting us know, like, hey, I'm a fucking asshole and I've done it multiple times. Well, it's one of those great things about Alexander Hamilton. He's not going to shut up about it. He'll right. t- he will tell you all of this. He's not going to stop talking, you know, and this uh, kind of sets up the Reynolds pamphlet. This kind of sets up like, all right, I'm telling the audience like you're, you're in on the secret. Um, but also we, we get to see his weakness you know, after he realizes exactly who James Reynolds is, you know, we get that very human and very genuine, uh, you know, dude, this letter is awesome. Shouts to the guy or the costuming for James Reynolds. Like this kind of wannabe cowboy smuggler look. It's like if someone yeah. tried to do Hans, it's like if someone tried to do Han Solo, but had never seen Star Wars. Like if someone explained Han Solo and then tried to make an outfit like that's what James Reynolds is wearing. And I just like I a, really enjoy that whole vibe. It's like a Captain Han Solo Sparrow. It's like he is the worst right, pirate you've like, ever that's seen. Exactly it's right. so it's, good. It's so if good. Someone vaguely described those characters. Um, and the actor for the Disney Plus version is incredible. Um, but yeah. yeah, dear sir, I hope this letter finds you in good health. And in a, I love that in a prosperous enough position to put wealthy, like <laughs> Hamilton's going to pay for this. Like at least there's some kind of consequences here right away, which is fun, you know? And then the fuck is so good. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I love all of the internal rhymes here in these two stanzas, but I, um, I, I love the way like the reveal is like, 
James Reynolds is clearly just a shit of a dude. And and in a way, right? Right. In a way, he's presented as being worse than Hamilton. In a way, he, you know, Hamilton never calls uh, Mariah Reynolds a whore. But James calls his own wife a whore. And James Reynolds pimps right. his wife out to Hamilton. You know, who, who is the more culpable? Who's the worst, James or Hamilton? I don't know that it matters, honestly. But I feel like the show does put some energy into, into trying to say that James is the worst. And I think that the audience gets to choose who is actually the worst uh, for themselves. What I love, though, whatever decision you make, who's more of a shit, James or Alexander? Mariah comes out on top, right? Like she's right. yes, she's the least guilty for some reason. Like out of the three, like she's the least at fault. Um, now I think, in my opinion, all of that being said, the worst thing that Hamilton does in this entire situation. Because let's let's start with he's already been um, he's already been disloyal to his wife. That's that's been established. Then he gets this letter from this man, right? And this man, James, is calling his own wife a whore and telling Hamilton, "You can keep doing it all you want. All I want is money." Hamilton, his reaction is not to get angry at the dude. He goes and yells at Mariah Reynolds. Honestly, I think this is the... It is like... He goes and blames her for her husband calling her a prostitute and trying to extort Hamilton for money to continue to sleep with her. And once again, Hamilton enjoys the indulgence of women that just want to be around him because just like Eliza, best of wives, best of women, just like Eliza just wants to be around with him, Mariah begs him, just pay him and you can have me. I just want to be with you. And he continues to be a dick to her. Like, I, so, how, is, how, is, how is this man a national hero? He is the worst dude. Like, what a total, right. like, oh my goodness, what a fuck boy. <laughs> so... So I think this whole thing, the, the severity of how much I dislike this from Hamilton really depends on how in you are on whether or not this was a, a setup, right? Because you, I still think in any case, you need to be equally mad at this dude and Mariah. So in any case, mm-hmm. it's bad what he does. But if you believe this, if you get that letter and you fully believe this to be like, oh, I've been set up here. Mariah is an equal part of the setup in that case and deserves at least an equal part of the accosting, I guess. Right? She doesn't get that. She gets all of the accosting anyway, which is bullshit. Right? But in this hypothetical in this hypothetical situation, you have two people who have <laughs> bamboozled Hamilton, and he should be equally mad at both of them, which he's not. In the situation where you don't believe this to be uh, set up, which is not where Hamilton is, but like, then eh, it's just fucked up. <laughs> then it's just all kinds of fucked up. So there's no way that this is anything yeah. but terrible. But yeah. And it's like, like, even the music does a good job. Like, this is not, like, this is an interrogation. Like, I raced to her place, screamed in her face, 
like half dressed apologetic. Like he just went in for the jugular. Like he's like it, it's all bad. I hate it. 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 Yeah, and let me include in the public reddit uh, a record that she also looked pathetic. Like I'm just gonna like she was, you know, she was not doing great, and I still kept yelling at her. Like you know, and uh, once again, what like once again, Hamilton received a letter. So if he did, there's a couple things that letters include, and one of them is a return motherfucking address. And instead of going to talk to James, he goes to Mariah, right? So, and we're left to understand that they're separated, I guess, right? So he could have gone and talked to James Reynolds instead, but... (sighs) But also, so if I'm Hamilton here, like, I just want... Because he's not making any good choices, so it makes sense that, again, he still makes terrible choices. If I'm Hamilton here, and I get this letter, first off, all the fucking guy does is write. So the fact that he doesn't write a letter here is bullshit because we know about him. That's all he does. Like he's running out of time. So whatever. But like the next thing, if I'm Hamilton responding to this, right, I'm just like, fine, fine. James Reynolds, like what kind, like who is going to believe you, right? Like, so first off, whether it's this, like, there's so much here. First off, whether it's a setup or not, Hamilton, you still chose to sleep with her. So that actually doesn't matter. You still made an equally terrible choice, regardless of whether it's a setup. So anyways, whatever. Right. But like James Reynolds (laughs) is a man clearly without reputation and honor, which was very important in this time. So if I'm responding to this whole situation, I I would just go like, fine, try me. Because it's like the way he gets found out is that is the payment part of this. Like the way he gets found out is he's been paying James Reynolds and then everyone else finds out about that. And then he has to write the Reynolds pamphlet. But James Reynolds is a fuckhead. Like, why not just say, you know what? Fine. Tell anyone you like. I'll just say it didn't happen. I'll just say it didn't happen. And then you'll say it did happen. Right. And if I'm the public at that time, I'm trying to put my head into this situation. Like you would probably just assume that James Reynolds, the shithead, was just trying to extort money from Hamilton. And you probably wouldn't believe him. And then Hamilton just gets away with the whole thing. So I don't even understand from Hamilton why this course of action makes any kind of sense. Because he could really easily, in my own head, just just say, fine. Like, sure, tell everyone. I don't care. Because all he does is end up telling everyone anyway. So it doesn't matter. That's the thing. This. Hamilton is a fucking That's idiot. I hate him. It doesn't make any sense. He is the darling of the government at this point. He's the darling of public opinion. You know, like he just, he just is like, this is, it's not, it's, he's, he's seated at the right hand of the father. Like, even if you don't understand any of the purely like objective historical context, even if you're just looking at what's going on in the musical, you know, in the musical, he is part of the brand new government had his choice between treasury or state they're asking him to lead like even with his confrontation with jefferson at the beginning of act two we still understand that he is in a crucial position when all of a sudden two people named reynolds show up we don't know about them like we could defeat them in the context of the musical easily sure yeah like it's like like it's it's one of the classic blunders it's such a mistake that he makes I just think there's no world in which James Reynolds exposes this affair 
and just says that it happened where Hamilton just doesn't say no it didn't and then everyone just believes Hamilton that's still like that's still in 2021 what happens with real things like women will still try to expose all these terrible fucking things they were put through they'll come out with all their stories and everyone just goes ah, no, it didn't, didn't happen and moves on yeah right like it's still how it works Without any of this honor or reputation part, like being part of it at all. Just, no, it does, and I will, I and I will, like, I will come out and say, I think, like, in the scales of history, like, if we're taking everything into account, like, I think that that Hamilton probably was like on a higher ethical level than Harvey Weinstein, probably. Like, I don't want to go too far down that that wormhole, yes. right? Yeah, right. But yes. like, fucking, but yes, it still happens, you know, and it probably would have been kinder on Betsy historically had he chosen that tack instead of what he did, you know? Um, but then not, we wouldn't have, I want to point out, not that it makes it better at all, but no, just, not better. Just, just, I'm just trying to like think of like, so Hamilton's got himself into this situation. There's such an easy way out of it where you just get away with all this bullshit, but he doesn't take it. Not that that makes any of the bullshit better, but it's still like, what he chooses to do here is still of consequence to the rest of the musical. So trying to analyze that choice is important. I I agree as well. All right. Ugh. So Hamilton keeps accosting Mariah Reynolds, and then here we go. This might be my least favorite part of the whole musical. Really? Hamilton okay. continues to accost Mariah. I like it just might be like I don't know if I had to pick not not least favorite is when I think it's bad just like I just get so mad <laughs> at Hamilton if you had to choose right if you had to choose right Ugh. okay anyways here we go he's accosting Mariah Reynolds still she says she doesn't know about any letter like stop crying goddamn it get up. I didn't know any better like Mariah just you're great keep going you're doing good um Hamilton is still being an asshole. Like, stop crying, goddamn it, get up. He's clearly flustered. I don't like again. We've talked about how yelling at Mariah here is bullshit, but whatever. And then Hamilton says, "I am ruined." Fine, true. But he then says, "I am helpless. How could I do this, Hamilton?" You like in my notes, I put, "Get the word helpless out of your goddamn mouth, Alexander. How dare you? Do not." Take the word your wife used to describe how in love she was with you as like some weird, like I just fucking hate it so much. I hate it so much. You're not helpless. This whole thing is your fault. There's nothing about this that you're not helpless at all. I hate it. 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 How could you do this? How could you? You had so many opportunities to undo it. You also have an opportunity to completely get away with the whole thing. And you're not taking any of the, like, uh, I just want to, like, punch him in the face. Sorry. That's my analysis. You know, you know what makes it even worse for me, why I hate it as well, is it's not the first time that he's done it. Because during nonstop, he takes her words as well. Look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. Like, he, he will that take... That way better. Still a bad justification, but... I mean, yeah, but better, but like he will use her language. He will use other people's language if it will help him, right? And it's just, it's salt on the wound, man. This one is more hurtful because it, it, it involves the infidelity of the entire situation. But yeah, just like, 
helpless being so connected to Eliza and being the name of one of her fucking songs, Hamilton, you thief. Uh, yeah, it hurts. Right. It stinks. It really does stink for sure. Ugh. So Hamilton to add insults to all of the injuries that we have all been witnessing throughout this uh, song after I am ruined. I am helpless. How could I do this? You want to know what he does? Absolutely fucking nothing. And immediately goes and sleeps with her again. When her body's on mine, I just can't say no. Like, oh my God, I can't even handle this guy. I can't even handle this guy. Well, we do learn though, that he eventually like he does consummate the financial relationship as well right i mean this becomes this becomes a real uh business proposition now and that's that's saying something and what it says is that he is the stupidest guy in the play you know uh yes. i don't like he he what cracks me up is that once he cements, like, he's made his decision, right? Just like you said, he's going to go continue. Her body is on his, he cannot say no. And so that's one thing that he does. But that's not enough. He has to keep receipts. He has to write down in his checkbook the payments he's made to James Reynolds. Like, he keeps financial records of this ongoing affair that like, because later we learned you can check every uh, checkered letter in my checkered history or whatever the line is. He's like, I can show you like all of the, none of this was about embezzlement. It was about like, you know, God, I'm thinking about Matt Gates again. Uh, it's like, these are my, these are my PayPal receipts, <laughs> you know, like it's coming up again. Like this was for school. Right. This was for tuition. This, for, you know, um, the fact that he kept a, a record of this in his ledger, that is equally wild to me. But he never he never spent a cent that he didn't record. I understand, audience member listening to this, that my analysis has not really gone much farther than Hamilton's a fuckhead and I hate all of this. <laughs> and I understand that that's not like the best analysis. But like, it is the best analysis. All of this is dumb. All of this is stupid. All of this makes Hamilton an asshole. And it just all gets worse. It never gets better. Just watch, say no to this, and it never gets better. He only keeps making terrible choices that make him less likable. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's all bad. What I will call out is the perfect interplay between the way the song is written between Hamilton and Mariah Reynolds and the way they're moving around and the way the choreography is done when he is accosting her and the way like when her body's on mine, I do not say no. Like the way that's choreographed where he's like saying yes in between everything like that part, um, whether you like what Hamilton's doing, but like the way it's shown and presented and, and done is fantastic. Incredible. That's true. Also a really great uh, last five years from Jason Robert Brown uh, reference in nobody needs to know near the coda of the number. Well, uh, musical theater insider thing there i mean it's a really good track it's just like it's just always pains painful watching the protagonist start down the road of their own undoing right which this definitely is 
you know, and I think that it's adequately presented as that in the show. They do a really good job of being like, yeah, this is the this is the pivot point. This is where the uh, the teeter totter yeah, like, starts what tottering. The most is it's so it's so unnecessary and all of his own doing, and all just so like the whole situation is so dumb. Like all of it is unnecessary and his own fault, and that's what makes it even worse. Is that like I don't know. That's just my analysis of it. It's all unnecessary. He didn't have to do any of this. He could have pulled out at any point, and he didn't. Yeah. So I'm gonna leave the you Hamilton using using pull out alone. Um, but it's uh, <laughs> hey man, you I mean, the, interpret that what makes, however you want to, ladies and gentlemen. That, listen to this. That's what makes it. I mean, in my opinion, I think that's part of what makes it so dramatically compelling. Like, and one of those things that makes nonfiction greater than fiction like this like this story is compelling to us for some reason like hamilton's story we wouldn't be doing the show if it wasn't compelling to us and for some reason it is like this was this was a series of huge mistakes but like definitely worth digging into glad there's a show about it but oh man i hate some I hate him so much, Bradley. I don't like him at all. <laughs> all right. Do we have any other analysis for this song? My my overall analysis is I love the song. It's a very good song. Mariah Reynolds and Jasmine Jones's portrayal of her is fantastic. Um, the way the song is done, choreographed, blocked, sung, all of it, like top-notch perfection, just like everything else. I actually think this might this is one of, I think, the most well-done songs musically, kind of how I felt about nonstop satisfied as well it just fits the theme so much you immediately kind of know what's going to happen and it really ports you into it um, but in terms of hamilton he's just a shithead he's just a shithead who it's the it's his own it's his own undoing everything here is his own undoing it's bad i hate it that's my analysis that's a really good analysis and i agree i mean i really do and yet somehow he still ends up in the room where it happens boom but a boom that'll be next week though because we're cutting it off here ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to this episode of let's dive deep those get me every time as fantastic um feel free reach out on if you if you have the opinion that everything hamilton did was awesome and great or not please don't um email us at let's dive deep pod at gmail.com we would love to hear from you your feedback your thoughts your opinions your takes all of it we also got a twitter account at let's dive deep if you want to reach out to us there make sure to go leave those reviews bring some friends along if you got a friend like hey we just had someone i hired them from the uk a couple weeks ago they just arrived in canada to work where i work he showed up he's a huge hamilton fan so i showed him the podcast which is weird listening to your co-workers talk about hamilton like in real life and then on a podcast that you're not a part of but hey i did the work of showing him the podcast so feel free to tell anyone in your life who likes hamilton that the podcast exists Otherwise, we'll be back next week with some collection of songs that includes The Room Where It Happened, which is an amazing song. It's a banger. A instant top fiver for most people who listen to Hamilton. Just absolutely incredible. One of Lin-Manuel's favorites as well. Um, but thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next one. <laughs>